If you have your scriptures with you this morning, please open them to First uh, Peter. We're going to take a look at the uh, passage that's printed in your bulletin as well as uh, hopefully in your Bibles. <laughs> Today we're going to be finishing our look at First Peter and uh, we're going to do... Uh, God willing, we're going to finish all of uh, chapter 5 today. I'm going to make some, uh, what I feel are some good final remarks and, and, some, and some conclusions about this uh, wonderful letter that we've spent so many months now uh, in. So if you have your scriptures, uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, and if you don't, the, uh, the passage is printed in your bulletin very conveniently, so uh, hear God's word. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We've been uh, spending many months now talking about what it is to live in the final days, the last days, according to the Apostle Peter. What's it like to live in the last days? The last days we defined are those days, however long it may be, from the time that Jesus rose and ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God until He comes again. Now that period of time could be 2,000 years or 2 million years. We really don't know and uh, any predictions are completely speculation and we talked about warning you about that. Uh, People that claim to know what the end is going to be as a sign of perhaps uh, not their wisdom but their, their foolishness. And so... Uh, be careful of that. And what is it to live in these final days? Well, putting it very simply, Peter reminds us over and over and over again that it is to be willing to suffer unjustly for the sake of the gospel. He's not talking about general suffering like, uh, like Job uh, suffering with uh, 
uh, failed health, with the loss of goods, the loss of family, just the general suffering that all humanity undergoes, but the more particular suffering of actually being a follower of Jesus and being uh, marked out or set apart because of that. And the suffering uh, that Peter's talking about was not the imperial suffering under the Caesars of Rome, but was at this time of the writing of the letter more localized, more in general. In other words, families were being strained by some becoming believers and some not. Marriages were becoming strained because some were believers and some were not. Uh, others were strained. Their kids were not being saved or were not saved, and uh, their older children perhaps, and the parents were, or, or vice versa. The children were coming to faith in Jesus, but the parents were still entrenched in the old ways. And all of these tensions, employers picking on uh, uh, their, their employees because they were Christians, or uh, Christian uh, uh, employees... Uh, who were not serving their masters well. Could be any number of things. This is the kind of suffering that the Apostle Peter is talking about in particular. And so we are to live, and Peter has gone, and we've talked about this so much. He says, in order to live in these last days, you have to be willing to suffer unjustly, but at the same time, you must stand boldly against evil. You must be willing to stand up, and that by standing up, it may cost you. But to endure it without bitterness, without anger, in fact, see it as the glory of God coming to you. And I think it's a marvelous letter and not given quite enough attention, but we've spent a long time in it, so let me finish with these three things. We're going to talk about this morning very quickly, the flock of God. And when I say flock of God, I'm going to combine the flock as being both the shepherds and the sheep, under the oversight of the great and chief shepherd. And so when we think in terms of flock of God, we're not going to set the elders, uh, the shepherds up here and the sheep down here. I'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to see uh, how I think Peter wants us all very precisely to see ourselves as the flock of God under the great and chief shepherd. So we're going to look at the flock of God. Secondly, uh, we'll look at the roaring lion. What's this all about? The devil and the roaring lion. And finally, we'll take a quick look at the chief shepherd uh, who stands over all and uh, controls all things. The flock of God. Shepherd and their sheep. If you, sheep, if you look at uh, verse 1 and 2 and 3, these first three verses, he starts to exhort the shepherds. And the word he uses is presbyteros. It's where we get the word uh, presbyterian. And it means an older one or an elder one. It can mean someone who's literally older, like us, uh, older guys. Uh, it could mean someone who's just advanced in the faith. But in Peter's world, they had not codified an ordained office quite yet for elder or presbyter or presbyteros. They hadn't put it all together quite yet. So elders for the Apostle Paul and for the Apostle Peter and for James and the other elders that were in the church, these were generally the men of, uh, 
a standing. Uh, the, the, the tribal leaders, think in terms of, of tribal world. There was an elder or elders, depending on how many people were in that tribe or that particular elder. And these men were generally marked out as leaders of the church. And they were later on, of course, ordained into that office and it became a much more uh, formal thing like it is uh, today. But he says some some things about them. I'm going to give you five that I think you can pick them up out of the passage, but I'm going to take them out one by one and explain them to you. First of all, he says these shepherds, these elders, must serve and be willing to serve sacrificially. Sacrificially. Look at verse 1. He says, exhort the elders. I exhort you elders as a fellow elder. And then again, he does this marvelous thing that he's done almost every week we've talked about it, where he links suffering unjustly as a follower of Jesus with the glory that someday will be revealed. Someday, the glory that will be revealed. Unfortunately, in our American culture, we want glory now. As one of the faith preachers recently said, I don't need golden streets. I don't need streets of gold in heaven. I need gold now. I need money now. And then he looked straight into the television and he said, so send me your money now. That's the gospel according to America. That is this idea that suffering is somehow not in God's plan whatsoever. That it's completely contrived, a a contrivance of Satan. And if you're suffering, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Or you're not living by faith. Or you're not walking according to the Word. Or whatever the case may be. Suffering's not part of God's plan. Peter says, yes it is. In fact, it is the will of God that we suffer. So suffering in this life is not something that you can put off. You are going to suffer. And it it can be costly. Peter is telling these leaders, these elders, he's saying it could be costly for you to serve in this capacity. Because you're going to be where? You're going to be the one leading. You know, the, the landing craft, you've all seen the pictures of the World War II. The landing craft opens uh, and, and the men rush out and the, the guys in front, generally led by an officer, an, an, a junior officer, were the first to die. And very often in God's church, the very first to die are those who are leading and standing up. Could be men, could be women. Doesn't have to be an ordained office, but those that are standing up and representing their faith are often the targets. So, in our culture, I have warned you week by week by week that in our current culture in the United States of America, for the church, for Christians to feel comfortable with government, to, be, to feel like we're completely in power, we've got somebody now in the White House that represents us, that we should be nervous. It's not, you know, if they do represent us, God bless these. Uh, presidents and, and representatives and senators, God bless them if they'll represent and care for the just and want justice and watch out for persecution and all that. If they do, fine. But we should be a little bit concerned when we're so chummy with everybody that's in power because that's not our... That, let me just put it this way, folks. Being in power politically is not the Christian's happy place. It has never served us well. We have 2,000 years of history to prove that when we are in power, it corrupts us. 
as Christians. And that's my job. My job is to warn you. And I'm warning you now. Let's thank God for our country, thank God for justice and righteousness, but let's be a little bit suspicious, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Can I get an amen? All right. I, you know, I don't care who you vote for. Fine. But let, let's wake up. Because Peter is saying that to lead and to be out there as a Christian may, bring some, may be costly to you. Secondly, he says, shepherds, I want you to do this watchfully. Verse uh, 2a, sacrificially then watchfully. Shepherds exercising oversight. He uses this word, uh, you've heard it, I'm sure many of you, uh, episcopontes. It comes from episcopos. It's the word translated bishop. And what bishop means, or episcopontes, is that we are overseeing or watching over or looking into I love what our elder Gary Anaya always tells people when they want to join the church. When Gary says it so well, I hope I don't mess it up if I do, you correct me. But Gary says, you know, when, when someone comes to us and says, I want to join the church, what you're saying to us is, I need you in my life. I know I need you. I need you to watch. I need you to look into. I need you to be willing to cross me, to cross my will, to come in and speak truth to me to be there when I fall, to stand with me and rejoice when I'm rejoicing, to weep when I weep. All of that, you're telling us that when you join the church. You're saying, I need a shepherd. I need someone to watch. You know, whenever we go to Presbytery or we go to other church meetings, and, and Dave and, and, and the, the other elders can tell you this, we're at Presbytery, very often the, the, the talk that goes on among the shepherds among the pastors, goes something like this. Here's how it goes. Uh, how you doing, uh, Chuck? I'm doing great. How, how's the new church going? Oh, it's a, we're, we're so thankful. We finally got a place. We're not wandering in the wilderness anymore. We got a place. And the next question almost invariably will come out, and it's always the same one. It's always this. How many are you running? You know, like rawhide from, you know. <laughs> Roll them, roll them, roll them, roll high. And get out there. Let's run these. Let's run these cattle. Let's run these. How many are you running? And I always tell them, I'm not running anybody. I don't even know what's going on. What are you talking about running? We're not ranchers. We're shepherds. Shepherds would lead from the front. They would, come on, come on, you know, gently lead and guide and care for and watch for their sheep. They would look into the lives of their sheep. They would gather them, not scatter them. They would defend them, not run when trouble comes. Not when the hard things have to be said. Not when the hard things have to be dealt with. They don't run. They come in close. When you fall and you're just covered with sin and mud, you've got somebody that comes into your life and they don't blink and go, oh my God, how did you do that? No, you have people coming into your life that says, yeah, that looks familiar. I've been there. I know what it is to be stained. I know what it is to fall. I know what it is to be in the gutter. Here, put some of that on me. And you get them and you hold them. Don't you want a shepherd like that? Sacrificial, watchful, willing. Look at the second part of... The, he, he puts these phrases. It's brilliant the way he does it, but we can't get into all the grammar and stuff. But he, he says, do it willingly, not under compulsion, but willing to God. And in your, in your scripture, it says, according to, uh, what does it say there? 
uh, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. That's not the best translation. The best translation, a better one, is according to God. In fact, literally, that's what it says. According to God or as God does. You see, you're going to serve and I'm talking to the leaders, particularly he's talking about shepherds, our leadership should be willing the way God is willing. How many times at Christ the King have I said, He doesn't hold His nose when He's looking at you. He is absolutely in love with you. He adores His people. He finds you so beautiful and so valuable and so worthy of His love. Listen to what I'm saying. He finds you so valuable, so lovely, that He's willing to spend His best for you so that you can be that glorious thing and person that He wants you to be. In and of ourselves, we are a wreck. We are dead, the Scripture says, in our sin and trespasses. But listen carefully. The image of God that He originally deposited into humanity was not obliterated by our sin. It was stained. It was polluted. It was killed, in a sense. But He looked at mankind whom He loved and adored, and He says, I will redeem. And I'll do it this way. Here's how I will do it. I will spend everything I have I'll spend my best, my most beautiful thing, who is actually a person, for you. And we get our value from His willingness. Do you see it? To come into our lives. He is proactive. That's what all of us, those of us who call ourselves Calvinists, that's all it means. It just means that God loves you and means to to secure himself a people. He doesn't just leave it up there in the ethereal world and kind of, well, maybe it'll happen. No, he comes and actually proactively does something. He spends his son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On your worst day, the worst day of your life, think of the worst day, before, after, doesn't matter, when, before, after you're saved, doesn't matter. The worst day of your life, while you're yet in your sin, Christ died for the ungodly. He put a value on you. And once we see that, it lifts us up. It it gives us energy to move forward. Where? To Him. Which will create humility and boldness at the same time. It's really quite marvelous. A willingness. He says, do it eagerly. Not for shameful gain. In other words, don't greedily exploit your sheep, but rather with eagerness. In other words, he's saying with humble service. You're not to do it for greedy gain. Folks, wake up. Wake up, America. You know, you wish, I mean, this is a little church, and I'm probably speaking to the choir here, but, I mean, what, what is up with these pastors getting on television asking for $80 million so they can fly in a Gulfstream jet? What's up with that? Someday, when church history is written in another, let's say in another thousand years, somebody is writing church history, they're going to have a, a couple paragraphs, listen, they won't spend more than two paragraphs on the American church because we're going to be a blip on the radar, and it's going to be an aberrant blip. You hearing me? It's not going to be something we're all going to glory about. They're going to go back and go, wow, they really didn't know their Bibles, did they? They really thought they were supposed to fly around in Gulfstream jets and drive extraordinarily expensive cars. Not that you shouldn't have a nice car. Look, I'm all for it. And I think you should 
buy me one. Well, you get the idea. Come on, folks. I mean, it's not that, we, that, that people shouldn't have, make money and have good salaries and do well. And, you know, in the United States, land of opportunity, absolutely. But there is an excess. And that's what Peter is addressing here. Our shepherds who do exploit their sheep, shepherds that take advantage of their sheep. And he's saying, don't you do that. And in an exemplary way. Now, this is the last one, and we'll move on. Not domineering, not authoritarian domination, not telling them, do as I tell you because I have the power to tell you, but rather by an example. In other words, what is the example? Ask yourself the question. What is the example that Christ said over and over and over, this is how I want you to love one another. Here's how I want you to do it. Sacrifice and service. I want you to give all, not part. Don't tithe on your sacrifice and don't tithe on your service. Give all. You're all in, 100%. Me for you. That's what you're telling people around you. That's what you want to see in your shepherds, the shepherds of your church, Christ the King. You want to see shepherds who are saying, me for you. I'm not too busy for you. I'll find time. I want to be there with you. And I'm telling you that personally. I want to be with you, spend time with you, whatever you need. And there's four more elders in this church. Every one of them would say the same thing. And that's what you want to see. You want to see an example. Not of of high-flying moral behavior like I'm better than you morally. That's not going to help you. That's going to crush you. It's not going to help you either if you just see a, a, a dead dog sinner up here every week and I roll out all my sins to you, right? Which I'm not going to do. Everybody would be running for the back door screaming, Ah, get me out of here. No, no, no. The example that you want to see is, is examples of men and women, leaders, who are utterly sold out for God, totally and full of joy, and at the same time knowing what it is to grieve deeply, completely humble, and yet with a certain amount of boldness. The kind of character, the kind of structure that you want in your life and in the life of those who will lead you, somebody that will give for you and not take. And that, that is what Peter is exhorting the elders to be. Then he turns to the sheep. And let me, let me do this very quickly because he simply tells them one thing. He tells the, tells the elders a lot of stuff, right? I gave you five. There's actually, you could do it, you'd string it out a little bit more. But in the sheep, he just says one thing. You younger ones, and he's talking about anyone in the church, younger being those that are not uh, in this position of leadership. He's saying you younger ones, male and female, Respect them, reverence them, obey them, listen to them, listen to what they have to say. That's all he says. Here's the problem. I can't tell you how many churches I have been in and how many sermons that I have heard, and you've heard them too, any of you that have been in church, here's how it goes. Now we're going to talk about the sheep, brother and sisters, and you all know about sheep, don't you? Do I even have to go on? Every one of you knows what comes next. They're dirty. They have ticks. They're stupid. They'll all walk off. They'll all follow each other off a cliff. And on and on it goes with nothing but pejorative things to say about the sheep. 
How stupid they are. How smelly they are. How do, and everybody laughs and chuckles because they think it's funny. It's actually not funny. Although, well, it's really not funny. And I'll tell you why. Because in your whole Bible, you never find that metaphor. Never. I dare you to find it. The only time you find sharp language... The only time you find God lighting it up when it comes to shepherds and sheep is towards who? Towards the shepherds who are scattering my sheep, who aren't feeding my sheep, who are misleading my sheep, who are telling my sheep lies, who are living in ways that exploit my sheep. I'm mad at you, you shepherds. Take care of my sheep, my lambs, my little ones. That's... The metaphor in Scripture for sheep. Those who need the care of the great shepherd. And it includes us. How can we forget that? How can we forget it? And stand up here in this place of authority uh, as shepherds and berate the flock of God? God forgive us for doing that. Sheep are not dumb. They need help. They need care. God created them that way. He need, they need shepherds. They need the great shepherd above all. To berate the sheep is to talk about Christ's bride. And he just tells them, Look, listen to your elders. Listen to them. And finally, he talks about the glue that holds us all together. Let me do this very quickly. The chief virtue. Shepherds, sheep, now the chief virtue. The chief virtue, the thing that holds the shepherds and the sheep together, the thing that will make our lives, listen to me folks, the thing that makes our lives magic, if you're in a good church where the shepherds and the sheep, everybody is loving and serving one another, the thing that holds us together, the glue in our lives, is humility. The chief virtue is humility. Look at 5b, the last part of this uh, fifth verse here. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Now he gathers all the flock together. Do you see what he's saying? That's why I said we're not going to split them up. He gathers all of us together, shepherds and sheep. He puts us all together in his flock. And he says to all of us, shepherds and sheep together, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. He's talking about mutual submission, mutual uh, respect. He said, because God opposes the proud. He actually uh, is a direct quote from Proverbs uh, chapter 3. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then he gives two commands. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Humble yourselves. He's saying, be proactive in your relationships. Love one another. Serve one another. Be humble to one another. All of those things. Serving, helping, holding on to each other with all the, the grace and humility that you can. Let me give you this quote real quick and then we'll finish up with these two things. Karen Jobes in her marvelous commentary, I can't thank Dr. Jobes enough for, for what she's written for us. Uh, it's it's quite, re, quite a wonderful commentary. Very technical. I don't recommend it for everyday reading, but for this sermon series, it was indispensable to me. She says this. Listen carefully. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I know it'll bless you and it'll help you understand. True humility. Listen, what is she saying? 
true humility as opposed to contrived, self-degrading humiliation flows from recognizing one's complete dependence upon God. And it is expressed through acceptance of one's role and position in God's economy. In other words, to be a shepherd, to be an elder like I am, and I had men surround me, I was on the floor, on my knees, and a group of men all better than me, laying their hands on me and praying for me, ordaining me into this ministry. I was weep, I felt crushed to the ground, I felt unworthy, I still do. And at the same time, I felt lifted up and carried on their arms, on their strong shoulders, the men and women who have gone before us serving and leading the flock of God. That's what you want to look for in your life, both humility and boldness, a lifting up and at the same time knowing your position, as Dr. Job says. With such humility, continuing the quote, with such humility, listen to this, I love this, One is freed from the attempts to gain more power or prestige. You see, those will get your heart. They'll get your heart. Instead, humility expresses itself in the willingness to serve others even beyond our self-interest. Isn't that what Christ did for us? He served us beyond his self-interest to a degree we may never completely understand. So there you have it. That's the shepherd. That's the leadership that he's talking to. Now he's going to address the roaring lion. Let's do this quickly. Uh, We could spend a lot of time talking about the devil, but I'd rather talk about Jesus, yes? You hear church, oh my gosh, churches either overdo it or underdo it when it comes to the devil. They either talk way too much about him, it's everything is the devil, or they almost deny his existence. And neither one of those is a good place for us to be. So I'm going to, give, I'm going to give the devil his due. Maybe three minutes. Here we go. Casting all your anxieties upon him, on God, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, pray, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone who uh, he may devour. Listen to this very carefully. and I, this, this you can get in just a second. Our chief virtue is humility. Our chief enemy Our chief enemy, Peter tells us, is anxiety. Did you hear that? Our chief virtue is humility. Our chief enemy is anxiety. Because Satan has no power whatsoever on you. But what he does, what he has been doing all along, you notice he didn't go into the garden, grab Adam and Eve, throw them on the ground, sit on their chest, take the apple, shove it in their mouth, take a bite, make them chew. He didn't do that. And he doesn't do that today. No matter what Hollywood wants to portray. Although there are cases of this thing we call demon possession, and this man we read about in the Bible that was overtaken by a legion of demons, he couldn't control himself. There, that is rare. And hopefully you will never see that. But the reality is the way he operates is to prey on our anxieties, to prey on our fears, to prey on our worries, to prey on those things that keep us up at night. What am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my job? What am I going to do with my marriage? What am I going to do with my health? What am I going to do with... You know, all of these things. What, you know, people don't like me at work because I'm a Christian. They may be breaking my door. And look what they did to these, these, 
busloads of worshipers going to St. Samuel's Monastery, these Coptic Christians, they killed over two dozen people, murdered in cold blood, many of them children. It is so abstract, I don't even know how to get my head around it, living here in peace and comfort in the United States. But know that it happens. We pray for the persecuted church. This is real. But the way He preys on us is by our fears and by our anxieties. And if He can get you scared enough, He can make you act. If He gets you to act, what He'll do is He'll either get you to devour you, He's got to cut you out of the herd. Have you seen those National Geographic things where He, you know, the, the lions go in and chase the herd, and what do they try to do? They try to separate somebody from the herd, one of the animals, particularly a weak or lonely one, or one that's sick, or one that can't run as fast, a little one. Cut them out of the herd, and then they pounce on them. And that's the danger. Peter is saying, you need shepherds because you need a community. You need to be under the protection of the herd. I hate to use that word, but that's what he's talking about. Don't let yourself be cut away and separated because you'll get devoured. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's he's using this image of, of a predator who's just watching for the weak and the single one to get cut aside. He says, resist them. How do you resist? Stay connected to your church. Be honest with your elders. Do you want to know? I'll just be honest with you. And and Merle's here today. He's a pastor a lot longer than I've been. When do they come? When do people come see you, Merle? When it's too late, right? When it's too darn late. That's when they come see me. It's too late. They're desperate at that point. They've been cut out of the herd. They've been isolated. And their lives all messed up. And they say, I need help. Well, you know what? We may not be able to help now. Don't wait. Take advantage of the community that God has put around you. He's out there to devour you. And it's so easy, folks, especially in the American church. And I hate to keep banging on the American church, but we got problems. And one of them is this toxic individualism. I just need me and Jesus and my Bible and maybe the Holy Spirit. No, you need your church and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and your elders and your shepherds and the sacraments. And you need a lot more than that. Don't don't reduce everything to just me and Jesus. Unless you have to, unless you're in a jail cell in solitary confinement, fine. But you're not. Don't wait. Let the church help you. Peter is saying, look, we're going to suffer unjustly. We need each other. Resort to the tools that God has ordained for you. Go to what what Ugo reminds us all the time of the means of grace, yes? The means of grace, which is your church, your people, your sacrament, the word of God, the, the worship of God. All those things fit together. And if you find yourself getting isolated, you're in danger. So run to Jesus, run to your people, run back to the place of safety. And finally, the chief shepherd, and I'll do this quickly here. After you've suffered a little while, verse 10, he says, a little while compared to who called you to his eternal glory, to eternity. You may suffer. Remember, suffering will pass. Eternity will what? Never, I mean, by nature, eternity will last forever. By its very nature, it will last forever. 
Whatever little suffering you do now is nothing compared to the glory, the Apostle Paul said, that shall be revealed in us. So as Christians, we have to live a, a kind of a bifurcated life, if you will. One eye here, feet planted solidly on the ground, trying to redeem this broken world. But another eye cast off into the future, cast off to the resurrection, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. If we can do that, we become a, a, an amazing, amazing force in the earth for good, for righteousness. For justice. Peter's final word, his final word to this beloved church in Asia that he was writing to, many of them in exile because of their faith. Peter says, look, this, verse 12, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. All of what he has said, stand firm in it. And let me quote Dr. Job's, Karen Job's, one last time because she captures the cross of Jesus for us in this beautiful final summary. Listen. The final word of Peter's apostolic message in verse 12 both exhorts his reader and confirms to them the truth that despite, listen, despite their suffering and despite their circumstances that may appear contrary, They have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through His sufferings, Jesus has conquered all evil. You see, through His suffering, the only thing, folks, listen, the only thing that's going to make any sense of your your life is to find the value the meaning of your life. And God tells us over and over and over to find the meaning, the value, the sustenance for your life in the tree of life that stood in the center of the garden. And we lost it. But we find it again, the tree of life, not in a garden, but on a garbage heap not surrounded by worshiping angels and God's smiling face, but on a wretched cross. He died for us so that you and I could go back to the tree of life. Peter's saying he suffered for us so that we could share in his glory the thing that was stolen from us, the tree of life. We regain it on the cross. Dr. Job's again. Jesus has conquered all evil. Called us to follow in His footsteps through life, through death. Through life, through death, and into glory. Through life, through death, and into glory. Will you trust Him? I pray you will. Father, we thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy that endures forever. Truly, You love Your people. You have sacrificed your son. You saw something in us that only the potter sees in the clay. And it was your choice, Father, to reach down into this messed up world and gather us up and shape us and form us into new creatures, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. Father, help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us by your grace, I pray. In Jesus Christ, feed us in our hearts by faith as we come to this, your table, the Holy Sacrament, to commune with you and you with us. Amen.